Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And this is Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Ross, I know you're uh, overcoming a cold here. So a bit sniffly. You, uh, More sniffly us. than usual. Thanks. <laughs> Good. Well, welcome, everybody, to another week of Techspansive, where we cover some of the, the uh, topics of the week and look at how it's impacting uh, technology and adjacent industries. Um, as we thought about the news and looked at the news, there's just seems like there's a lot of you know, tough tech news this week. A lot of data breaches, a lot of um, news about social networks and how they might be using your information. And so we thought we'd hit on that a little bit. And then we also saw some voice test results for the different platforms and something that's been um, talked about in the past. We see Google winning that and Apple and Siri both uh, Amazon and, and uh, Apple both improving significantly. So we can talk a little bit about that. And maybe we jump in f- with that topic first, Ross. Sure. What was uh, some of your take on the uh, test results that came back? So, you know, two highly related uh, stories this week. One is that a, a venture fund did a head-to-head test of four of the leading uh, voice agents, uh, Google Assistant, Siri, Alexa, and Cortana, uh, Microsoft's entrant. And uh, uh, as you said, Sean, uh, Google Assistant was able to answer 88% of the queries on this test, uh, pretty good, far and away the, the leader. And then uh, Siri and Alexa uh, almost tied uh, where uh, Siri got 75% and Alexa 73 and then Cortana trailing, I, I think, in the, in the high 60s. And uh, a couple of, I would say, uh, interesting things about that. One is that uh, Amazon got off to such a head start in igniting uh, a lot of the attention uh, around agents, even though Siri uh, has been around for, for a while and uh, is widely perceived to have been one of the leaders, whereas Apple... Uh, has attracted a lot of criticism for the shortcomings of, of Siri about how it's not as good as, uh, as as its competitors in answering queries. And, you know, now we see in kind of a head-to-head test that Apple has been able to make up, apparently, a lot of ground or perhaps the perceptions were unfounded. But, you know, the idea that it is uh, very competitive is, is probably surprising to a lot of folks. One reason it probably shouldn't be quite so surprising is that, uh, as I've often said, you know, it's it's a tremendous asset uh, to have a strong smartphone base of people using your your agent, uh, because people turn to their smartphones so much, and so Apple has an incredibly uh, strong data set on on which to build, and so it's you know in some ways not wholly surprising that. Um, you know, Google and Apple, the two smartphone OS powers, uh, are first and second. Even though their Apple clearly has some uh, room to uh, to improve, and that Microsoft, you know, which has uh, the least exposure in in these markets in many ways, uh, is is trailing in in last place. Uh, and and along those lines, Apple announced this week that it is promoting 
a uh, an executive in in charge of their AI and machine learning who came over from Google uh, a while back to be a member of their executive committee. And uh, Sean, you were talking a bit about that coverage and how Apple is framing it and how their usage of machine learning and AI may be somewhat different, you know, taking place in a, in a different context than how, say, Google sees it, uh, sees it developing. Yeah, I mean, you definitely see the focus on tight integration. You see the focus on privacy being at the forefront of how Apple is thinking about um, their their role and, and how they differentiate themselves from their competitors, if you will. I mean, in, in the release, they say that uh, it, it's really about advancing that, that tight integration of machine learning in their products. And if you look at the test results, you actually see Google doing well across local commerce, navigation, and information. But Apple is and Siri has the greatest success rate in the command space. And so mm. that, that tight integration between HomePod and Apple smartphones uh, does seem to be helping when it comes to commanding the environment around you. And so uh, I, I think that opens up the question of where will we be using voice interfaces? Maybe we'll be using them everywhere. It was two years ago now at this point that Google announced during one of their developer conferences that um, 20% of mobile searches, so 20% of, of searches on smartphones were coming over voice. And, and that number has surely risen since, mm. uh, since 2016 when Google announced that. So we've probably seen that grow in both uh, on the go and in the home. So you may be using voice for lots of different use case scenarios. Uh, but in that command environment, you're seeing Apple take what looks like a, at least an early leadership role there. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we spoke quite a bit last week about some of the demonstrations that uh, I had seen at the, at the Qualcomm Summit. And uh, I think, you know, one of perhaps uh, to flip the argument uh, around, uh, Google and Amazon have to support a very broad uh, array of devices. They've both been very aggressive about uh, about uh, evangelizing their agents to all kinds of companies. Um, you know, home device companies, speaker companies, car companies, uh, and uh, you know they've been in in this uh, this race to try to line up as as much support as possible. Uh, and, you know, it, we, we've also spoken before about the smart display market, which uh, they both embraced. And, uh, you know, Google is, is pushing hard on their home hub uh, this, uh, this holiday season, which uh, is actually a pretty good product. But, uh, but yes, Apple is, uh, you know, focused not only on their own devices, but I think also the, the nature of the integration is for their own apps and, and, and homegrown services. So for now, for example, uh, if you ask Google Assistant to play a song, it has to figure out what apps you have installed and, you know, figure out like where you may have subscription 
rights and then call up that app and pass the request and then you know spotify or pandora or something plays the song on uh iphones with siri i believe that that is just contained to apple music you know for for the time being anyway uh and so it uh similarly if you ask uh siri to send a message you know today it's it's either going to send it via text or it's going to send it via iMessage. you know they don't have to worry about supporting half a dozen other messaging services that might be in use on uh on uh on on android uh you know even though apple is working to get uh more developer support on ios it uh, you know it, it it has been expanding uh the apis very slowly and and so they've taken a lot of criticism for that over the years but you know this may be some vindication that uh they've been focusing on areas that that allow them to uh you know ultimately improve the experience for their users which you know is is kind of the defining rationale you know for for why apple does things yeah and and i mean if you look at their focus thus far they show pretty good success rates in the command area they show great success rates in navigation which you you would hope in that uh, smartphone space that navigation would be uh, would be quick so it's unsurprising that google home and and uh you know homepod siri both have really good success rates in the navigation space where you see uh siri and and apple really trailing is in places like information mm-hmm. um and uh, you know and you've seen alexa improve there pretty significantly with the recent rollout of alexa answers which is helping crowdsource answers to questions so that's an area that they're uh, very very focused on um you saw an announcement this week that uh you know that they've partnered with um other other players so you're able to make calls out to businesses from from an amazon uh perspective you've also seen them um integrate now with um wolfram alpha which i i think mm-hmm. is a really interesting um partnership around answering science and, and math questions. I think digital assistants as a homework helper is completely under-recognized. And so this is a move that will bolster that category, being able to quickly settle debates between parents and kids while they're doing homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I think it, again, it kind of comes down to where are these categories going to be used. And if they're going to be universal, then all of these companies have some catch up to do in different places. Uh, Amazon is has um, building out some of those areas, but you look at something like navigation. To your point, they don't have a mobile phone ecosystem, so navigation for them is pretty weak. Commerce is is extremely weak, which you might expect because they want you to turn to the Amazon. They don't want you turning to other retail local retail stores. Uh, and so, you know, do they? have a an incentive to get good in that category or, or not so there's a lot of i think open questions when we look at at the uh playing field 
Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, ta- it's a it's a task by task, domain by domain phenomenon, uh, probably for the foreseeable future. But you know, in in general, um, all these companies uh, addressing their their weaknesses, as you mentioned, uh, I think it says a lot uh, about Google's success. You know, they have been touting this and investing in this and you know, at least for now, can claim uh, bragging rights. And I think it also, you know, on the on the other end of the spectrum, uh, raises some questions about where Microsoft is going with Cortana. I think the, the writing on the wall has been there for a little while that you're probably not going to see this agent, this technology, used as broadly as, uh, as some of the other uh, competitors, you know, some of the more mainstream guys, and uh, what does Cortana become? You know, probably some more focused agent focused on on workflow and and productivity. You know, along with with the rest of Microsoft's portfolio. And I think it also says something that uh, Samsung's agent Bixby wasn't even part of the club. You know, wasn't even invited to uh, to the test, even though. Of course, they have a huge base of, of smartphone users, and uh, in the next year or two, we can expect to see uh, that agent uh, arrive on many more devices. As we discussed a few weeks ago, I was somewhat impressed by Samsung's plans uh, to to expand Bixby and how they're they're um, you know trying to court developers, but but of course, you know the, the, they face a very steep uh, uphill battle um, in, in terms of proliferation. Um, well, and, com- I, and, and I think is it, Samsung also really wants to focus on a seamless integration of Bigsby, where you're not having to pass commands off to others, but having it uh, a more integrated experience. And that could lead to a better consumer experience. Mm. Yeah, right now, there is the, the, the experience where you ask one of these ag- agents... Uh, a question or you give them a command and then they have to essentially hand that command off to some other some other service and that at times can be a little bit of a clunky experience for the end user but but samsung's going to have to do that for a lot of services simply because they're not offering them i mean i think years ago they they were maybe envisioning this kind of scenario and that's why they had their own video service and their own music service and you know, over time, it's just shaken out that that hasn't been sustainable for them. But but I, I think they are kind of in an in- interesting situation because, you know, if really all Apple cares about are uh, its own devices and services and maybe some apps in its ecosystem, and then you've got Google and Amazon, which are definitely going broad, uh, have a toe in their own devices, but, you know, that's not really what their end game is about. Samsung is somewhere in the middle in that most of their focus is, of course, on their own devices, but but they are, you know, almost the way Google and Amazon have a, you know, hobby, uh, if you will, of their own devices. Uh, you know, maybe Google more than more than Amazon in, in terms of the hobby hobby nature of it. Uh, Samsung, you know, is is trying to expand Bixby out to non-Samsung devices and. That's going to be, uh, you know, interesting to see how that shakes out. I, I think in some cases it could be complementary, 
but obviously in terms of a, a lot of their direct competitors, uh, that that's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see what the next month brings because inevitably we'll see tremendous number of launches uh, yeah. of products at CES that um, that will have a voice user interface or in, will want to tie to some of these platforms. So looking at how how they change and how they how they do that. And and really, it's been instructive to look at kind of the past two or three CESs and seeing how. You know, the past two or three CESs are in part a study of Alexa's rise, you know, the Alexa's ascendancy where, you know, maybe two, three years ago, they were doing some small integrations with some startup companies. And I remember Uma, you know, the, the VoIP guys started supporting Alexa. And then, of course, you know, they kept building and building. And last year, it was everywhere. And, and the question became, how good a job is Google doing of, of trying to keep up with them because they were, uh, it was ubiquitous and it was uh, very impressive in terms of the range of, of devices that uh, Alexa had crept into. I'm sure we will continue to see more along that trajectory in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think if you look at, again, the test results in that command space, that's an area where you would expect to see Alexa really show improvement in the in the coming years because they're tying into so many of these other mm-hmm. experiences that the end user is wanting to have. So whether it's right. hardware in the home or services online, they're going to want to have greater command uh, involvement there and have a, a much more fluid experience for the the end user. So I, I think you know to your point, we'll continue to see these test results improve uh, with with the one caveat of you know what happens with cortana and if they don't make great inroads into some of these other areas then that you probably won't see the you know the experience improve uh, or the ability to answer questions with high success rates because it's just not where consumers are are going for that type of information or that type of experience right 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 okay well um Maybe uh, I, I thought we could uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, a, a, what I think is a fairly significant milestone uh, that uh, is happening as we speak um, today. On the 21st, uh, AT&T is uh, rolling out its first uh, mobile 5G networks. And we have to be a little careful about how we describe these things because uh, over the past year, uh, AT&T and their, their good friends uh, at Verizon have been uh, having some uh, healthy debate uh, around what is act, what actually uh, represents a, um, a true launch of, of 5G. But, uh, but I think uh, you know, many people in the industry recognize this as, uh, as being you know, a, a legitimate launch. And uh, one of the things that uh, I point to in, in order to show that it's, it's a real product is that uh, even a real service is that even though they are offering uh, a lot of free access to, to businesses and consumers in the areas that they're launching, at least for a while, they have rolled out pricing. Uh, so I think the pricing is $70 a month for up to 15 gigabytes of 
uh, 5G data and uh, and $500 for the first device on that network, which is a hotspot by a company called uh, Insego, uh, which used to be known as um, Novatel Wireless and, and well-known for their MiFi device, uh, hotspot, which was kind of a pioneering device in the hotspot field. And in fact, one that I remember uh, trying in the very early days of, of 4G, uh, where, where hotspots were, were some of the first devices available on, uh, on, on those networks in the early days. So, you know, a little bit of deja vu, not, not uh, surprising to see some of the rollout go out this way. But on the other hand, um, you know, it's, it, it may be a little disappointing to some that this is just kind of vanilla access, if, if you will. It's, uh, it's just raw speed and it, it doesn't really do much to show how 5G will be as transformative as many in the industry uh, predicted it will be. Yeah, we're definitely just in the early days of of this transformation, and it will take decades. So that I mean, you know, that's the other piece I think we need to remember is that while we have seen quick uptake of of 4G, or at least now we're at a point where we have high uptake of 4G in the U.S., 4G will only be half of cellular connections globally. Globally, next year. right? Uh, and so. You know, this is something that will take a, a very long time to roll out. The standard re- release 15 was just finalized in the summer of, of this year, and it typically takes about two years before you start to see wide commercial uptake and commercial deployment. So, you know, 2019 really represents that the, the first year where you'll start to see standard compliant trials, early commercial deployments, you'll see devices, and in the, the first couple months of the year, certainly at CS, we'll see some of the first standard compliant devices that will be available during 2019. Um, and then a lot more is coming. Release 16 will, won't be finalized until 2020, uh, and that's where you really start to see some of the other capabilities of, of 5G get discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, uh, I mean, you mentioned CES, and of course, in in January um, is Mobile World Congress, the uh, the big uh, wireless show in Barcelona, which um, I'm sure will be a, a tremendous 5G love fest. Uh, but you know, even here in the U.S., where we've been uh, relatively early on 5G, the uh, you know, we still have no real handsets. We saw an announcement from a um, from Motorola uh, a couple of months ago that uh, that they would be announcing an add-on module for one of their phones to enable 5G. That's going to be a, a Verizon exclusive and should come uh, in the uh, uh, I guess in the in the next couple of months. Both AT and T and Verizon have pledged to have uh, 5G phones uh, on their network in the first half of 2019. Clearly, Samsung uh, Samsung showed off a prototype of their 5G phone um, a couple of uh, weeks ago at the, at the Qualcomm Summit. So, 
So the devices are coming, uh, and uh, you know, I actually had a column run today uh, talking about how kind of the first killer app of 5G is 4G <laughs> in in a couple of ways. You know, not only those applications that we you know have become very mainstream here in the U.S. Shopping, communication, games, you know, all of those, of course, get better and richer uh, when you throw more speed uh, at them. The streaming video, of course, but um, but also in terms of the actual 4G network, uh, Sprint, which has uh, endured a lot of criticism over the years for uh, for its coverage struggles. I mean, they've been improving over the past couple of years and in, in a lot of the benchmarks but but the rollout of 5g which which they're doing uh via software upgrade to a lot of their towers uh over the coming months uh is is really going to help their congestion on 4g networks and uh also even beyond that uh, you know, 4G is not done. Uh, there's still work being done on the LTE standard, much as was the case with 3G and 4G. You're going to see 4G and 5G networks running in parallel for for many years to come, uh, and uh, we're going to you know continue to see higher speeds on 4G. So, so if you want to you know hold on to that contract, right? Remember. Um, when when some carriers switch from 3G to 4G, there are people holding on to their old 3G contracts for dear life because they were able to have unlimited plans and you know at least back then uh, 4G uh, access was was not on unlimited plans. Uh, so if you if you want to hold on to your 4G plan or if you have no plan to upgrade your your phone for some time. Uh, the 4G networks are, are going to get faster. Uh, you know, they're talking about up to two gigabits per second, uh, maybe even beyond that in, in the coming years. So, uh, quite quite a bit of um, headroom left on on LTE, even as uh, everyone is uh, is excited ab- about this new network. And Sean, you know, you also make a, a great point. Sorry, in that. Uh, not only globally are are we seeing a lot of slower connections, but but in terms of the companies rolling out services, you know, and and apps and things like that, they have to uh, cater to to what people are actually using. I mean, they can they can do some things to try to optimize for five G, but you know, they have to go to where the market is, and at least throughout most of 2019 and 2020, even here in the US, that's going to be predominantly 4G. Right. And you're exactly right. And that's part of what that slow adoption uh, is driven by is the fact that you're going to build services and applications for where the market is. And maybe you move them a little bit. And then over time, those big move or those little moves culminate into a, a much lar- larger move. So I think from a consumer standpoint, it, you know, getting greater bandwidth on, on faster connections on 4G, um, maybe some lower latency, those are all great properties. Really, t- to me, the, the true potential of 5G comes in in some of these later applications that will be launched later on. I mean, if you look at the, the studies that are planned for release 16 of the, of the 5G study, they're around things like vehicle to everything, application layer services, mm-hmm. um, 
things like network slicing and Internet of Things, communications in vertical domains. So they're really looking at what I'll call a wider business sector. They're looking at things that are attractive to um, to machine to machine communication. Uh, so it, it's m less about consumer focused applications and consumption and much more around enterprise level uh, technology advances. And so, it, you know, it takes takes years until companies really start to fully unleash the capabilities of those technologies. But, um, you know, I think you look out seven or 10 years and we could really see drastically different approaches to, to business and business services as a result of, of 5G deployment. And that will happen kind of under the surface, right? That isn't uh, carriers releasing 5G networks to consumers and selling 5G handsets, but that's tying into connected objects that are going to have 10-year battery lives and send information at different intervals. So it isn't you and I picking up our, our phone and calling somebody, but it's about um, you know being able to send information and and moving from a one-to-one -one network connection and thinking about a many-to-one network connection where you're pulling information from a variety of different sensors if you think about an IoT environment. Right. Yeah, I, um, you know, when I think about uh, what, what are some of the potential applications, uh, you know, the IoT uh, example is, is, is certainly an interesting one uh, for for a lot of industrial applications, a lot of monitoring applications. Uh, telehealth really seems like, uh, you know, something very exciting in terms of being able to do remote surgeries and um, uh, offer, you know, uh, more in-depth medical coverage uh, in, in different, uh, you know, parts of, of the world. Um, autonomous driving is, is one that seems to get identified uh, very strongly with 5G in terms of the ability for road sensors and, and other kinds of sensors and cars to be able to communicate virtually instantly in term, you know, in, in, in case uh, uh, of, of, of an emergency situation or a change in conditions. And, and the one, you know, in terms of uh, just sort of that to me represents the, the biggest potential change in interaction and, and interface is augmented reality, uh, and uh, we we've chatted a bit in in the past about what we're seeing on the headset front uh, and how some of that uh, vision of of Google Glass from from years ago is you know being revisited, uh, and uh, it's it's rumored that Microsoft is is going to be uh, rolling out a. Uh, finally updating the, the HoloLens in um, in the near future. So, uh, you know, the, the idea that uh, we, could, we could have more context and, and richer graphics overlaid uh, on our world, that is a, um, to me, that's the kind of application where you would need a, a high degree of responsiveness. Uh, so uh, it, it could, you know, I think in many ways it could be the killer consumer app for, for 5G, but it's it's a huge uh, content development challenge. Yeah, and, and I do think you will see 5G impact the consumer segment in places 
like mass gatherings. So stadiums, mm-hmm. um, virtual reality will, will clearly be a role. AR will clearly play a role over this network. And then I think when you think about, um, you alluded to like the need for lower latency. That's one of the things you see when you have a lot of people within that same area, like at a stadium, at a large event, the latency can be pronounced as far as sharing right. messages to somebody who's in the same stadium. You know, they could be sitting right next to you and, and receive something uh, very delayed. So 5G will help with that tremendously, getting below one one uh, millisecond of of ultra-reliable, ultra-low-latency communications. So Mm -hmm. that offers some real potential for um, how the consumer communicates. And then to your point, um, you know, what multimedia experiences look like over a mobile network are are set to drastically change. Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, easy to forget that uh, over half of the apps market in in terms of category and certainly the largest uh, category in terms of revenue uh, is mobile games. And, uh, you know, today a lot of that, a lot of those games are really primarily locally based uh, with some online capabilities. Uh, With with 5G, you know, the latency is so low, the responsiveness is so strong that you could really open the door for games that, you know, you look at things like Fortnite um, are are live all the time and you have massive teams competing and, um, you know, it's it's uh, the, the opportunity to, to bring it into the real world perhaps in, in some ways or, or incorporate elements. Uh, I, th- I think it, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it affects the the games market uh, as as well, but again, you know, on 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 one hand, a lot of uh, early adopters in in that space who might be willing to uh, pay the higher fees. Uh, on on the other hand, you know, a lot of these um, a lot of these games really really require a huge scale uh, in, in terms of players, and so uh, it, it may take a while before we see things uh, optimized for uh for for this faster network yeah and it'll take some time for for that deployment i mean we are sure just in uh the beginning stages of testing and and trialing standard compliant networks so right. 2019 is is the opening chapter of a very long book indeed well, that's probably a great place to end. We thank you for joining us this week at Techspansive. We hope that you join us again next week. Again, I'm Sean Dubrovac with Avrio Institute. And uh, I'm Ross Rubin at uh, Radical Research. We, uh, we both wish you a very happy and safe holiday season and uh, look forward to visiting with, with you again uh, in the coming weeks.